part four of gettysburg national military park pennsylvania by frederick tilburg this librivox recording is in the public domain part four the third day cannonade at dawn culp's hill and spangler spring night brought an end to the bloody combat at east cemetery hill but this was not the time for rest what would meade do would the union army remain in its established position and hold its lines at all costs at midnight meade sought the advice of his council of war in the east room of his headquarters the corps commanders gibbon williams sykes newton howard hancock sedgwick and slocum without exception advised holding the position established meade approving turned to the officer whose division held the union centre and said gibbon if lee attacks me to-morrow it will be on your front meade on the following morning began to fortify cemetery ridge by shifting all units that could be spared from the line at culp's hill and those in reserve at the round tops and on cemetery hill general hunt chief of artillery brought up reserve batteries to hold in readiness for replacement of front-line guns throughout the forenoon of the third day meade not only developed a strong front at the stone walls on the crest of the ridge but he also strengthened his reserve power to an extent which rendered the union centre almost impregnable meanwhile important movements were occurring elsewhere on the field ruger's division and lockwood's brigade which had been called from their lines on the south slope of culp's hill the previous evening to help defend sickles position at the peach orchard were now countermarching under cover of darkness to reoccupy their ground geary who had misunderstood orders and had marched down the baltimore pike was also returning to his works ruger's men upon reaching the pike learned from scouts that their entrenchments south of culp's hill and at spangler spring had been occupied by the confederates ruger resolving upon an attack at daybreak organized his forces along the pike powerful artillery units under muhlenberg were brought into place along the road rigby's maryland battery was stationed on powers hill a prominent knoll a half mile to the south and another battery was emplaced on McAllister Hill. As dawn broke on July 3, Union guns on the Baltimore Pike opened with a heavy cannonade on Johnson's Confederates at Spangler Spring. The heavy wooded area about the Confederate lines prevented them from bringing guns into position to return the fire. Union skirmishers began streaming across the field toward the Confederate entrenchments the full force of ruger's and gary's brigades followed closely throughout the forenoon the union troops struck again and again it was about ten o'clock that ruger believing that a flank attack might break the resistance of johnson's men ordered colonel silas colgrove to strike the confederate left flank near the spring the troops of the second massachusetts and the nineteenth indiana regiments started across the swale from the cover of the woods on the little hill south of the spring a withering fire slowed their pace but they charged on only to have their ranks decimated by the confederates in strong positions back of a stone wall colonel mudge inspiring leader of the massachusetts regiment fell mortally wounded forced to fall back the men soon learned their efforts had not been in vain 
on ruger and geary's front the confederates were now giving way and soon had retired across rock creek out of striking range by eleven o'clock the union troops were again in possession of their earthworks again they could quench their thirst in the cooling waters of the spring lee plans a final thrust general lee must have learned by mid-forenoon after the long hours of struggle at culp's hill and spangler spring that his troops could not hold the union works which they had occupied with so little effort the previous evening he had seen also that in the tremendous battling during the preceding afternoon no important gains had been made at little round top and its vicinity longstreet had engaged the advantageous ridge at the peach orchard and had brought his batteries forward from pitzer's woods to this high ground in preparation for a follow-up attack wright's brigade the last unit to move forward on july two in the echelon attack begun by general law had charged across the open fields at dusk and pierced the union center just south of the copse of trees on cemetery ridge wright's success could not be pressed to decisive advantage as the brigades on his left had not moved forward to his support and he was forced to retire again lack of coordination in attack was to count heavily against the confederates the failure to make any pronounced headway on july two at culp's hill and little round top and the momentary success of wright on cemetery ridge doubtless led lee to believe that meade's flanks were strong and his center weak a powerful drive at the center might pierce the enemy's lines and fold them back the shattered units might then be destroyed or captured at will such a charge across open fields and in the face of frontal and flank fire would lee well understood be a gamble seldom undertaken longstreet strongly voiced his objection to such a move insisting that no fifteen thousand men ever arrayed for battle can take that position time now was the important element whatever could be done must be done quickly hood's and mcclaw's divisions who had fought bravely and lost heavily at round top and the wheat field were not in condition for another severe test early and johnson on the left had likewise endured long unrelenting battle with powerful union forces in positions of advantage the men of heath's and pender's divisions had not been heavily engaged since the first day's encounter west of gettysburg these were the men along with pickett's division whom lee would have to count on to bear the brunt of his final great effort at gettysburg lee and meade set the stage late in the afternoon of july three general meade had completed his plan of defense in rear of the union center by the concentration of all available infantry units general hunt sensing the danger placed a solid line of batteries in position on the crest of the bridge and brought others to the rear for emergency use as a final act of preparation meade inspected his front at the stone wall then rode southward to little round top here with general warren he could see the long lines of confederate batteries and the massing of troops a sure indication of attack meade rode back to his headquarters 
lee on his part had observed in the forenoon the enemy in the process of concentration on cemetery ridge having reached his decision to strike the union center he had already begun the movement of batteries from the rear to points of advantage by noon a hundred and thirty-eight guns were in line from the peach orchard northward to the seminary buildings many of them only eight hundred yards from the union center to colonel alexander fell the lot of directing the artillery fire and informing the infantry of the best opportunity to advance massed to the west of emmitsburg road on low ground which screened their position from the union lines lay general george pickett's three brigades commanded by kemper armstead and garnett pickett's men had arrived the previous evening from chambersburg where they had guarded lee's wagons on july one and two as the only fresh body of troops on the field they were now to spearhead the charge on pickett's left the attacking front was fast being organized joseph pettigrew a brigadier was preparing to lead the division of the wounded major-general heath and major-general isaac trimble took the command of pender more than ten thousand troops of these two divisions including such units as the twenty sixth north carolina whose losses on the first day were so heavy that the dead marked their advance with accuracy of a line at a dress parade now awaited the order to attack many hours earlier the bliss farm buildings which lay in their front had been burned their objective on the ridge was in clear view the brigades of wilcox and lang were to move forward on the right of pickett in order to protect his flank as he neared the enemy position general stuart in the meantime had been out of touch with lee moving northward on the right flank of the union army he became involved in a sharp engagement at hanover pennsylvania on june thirty seeking to regain contact with lee he arrived at carlisle on the evening of july one as he began shelling the barracks orders arrived from lee and he at once marched for gettysburg arriving north of the town the next day lee now decided to employ his cavalry to cut off union retreat which might result from a successful attack on the centre stuart was instructed to swing eastward and then south around gettysburg the morning of july three in order to arrive in the rear of the union lines at the time pickett was expected to charge the centre except for the intermittent sniping of sharpshooters an ominous silence prevailed over the fields the orders had now been given the objective had been pointed out men talked of casual things some munched on hard bread others looked fearfully to the eastward where with the same mixed feelings lay their adversary far to the south on another crucial front general pemberton was penning a letter to general grant asking terms for the surrender of vicksburg in richmond the sick and anxious jefferson davis looked hopefully for heartening word from his great field commander at gettysburg the outcome of this bold venture would count heavily in the balance for the cause of the confederacy artillery duel at one o'clock at one o'clock two guns of miller's battery posted near the peach orchard opened fire in rapid succession it was the signal for the entire line to let loose their terrific blast 
gunners rushed to their cannon and in a few moments the massed batteries shook the countryside firing in salvos and in succession the air was soon filled with smoke and heavy dust which darkened the sky union gunners on cemetery ridge waited a few minutes until the position of the confederate batteries were located then eighty guns placed at close order opened fire for nearly two hours the duel continued then that union fire slackened hunt had ordered a partial secession in order to cool the guns and to replace broken carriages colonel alexander in position on the emmitsburg road near the peach orchard could observe the effectiveness of his fire on the union lines and also keep the confederate troops in view to him it appeared that union artillery fire was weakening his own supply of ammunition was running low believing this was the time to attack alexander sent a message to pickett who in turn rode over to longstreet general longstreet who had persistently opposed lee's plan of sending fifteen thousand men across the open ground was now faced with a final decision longstreet merely nodded approval and pickett saluted saying i am going to move forward sir he rode back to his men and ordered the advance with kempfer on the right and garnet on the left and armistead a few yards to the rear the division marched out in brigade front first northeastward into the open fields then eastward toward the union lines as pickett's men came into view near the woods pettigrew and trimble gave the order to advance the troops of the carolinas tennessee and mississippi comprising the brigades of mayo davis marshall and fry in front followed closely by lane and lawrence now moved out to attack a gap of half a mile between pickett's left and pettigrew's right would be closed as the advance progressed the units were to converge as they approached the union lines so that the final stage of the charge would present a solid front climax at gettysburg billows of smoke lay ahead of the union men at the stone wall momentarily obscuring the enemy but trained observers on little round top far to the south could see in the rear of this curtain of smoke the waves of confederate starting forward pickett finding his brigades drifting southeastward ordered them to bear to the left and the men turned toward the copse of trees kemper was now approaching on the south of the coterie buildings garnet and amistead were on the north halted momentarily at the emmitsburg road to remove fence rails pickett's troops with pettigrew on the left renewed the advance pickett had anticipated frontal fire of artillery and infantry from the strong union positions at the stone walls on the ridge but now an unforeseen attack developed union guns as far south as little round top along with batteries on cemetery hill relieved from confederate fire at the seminary buildings opened on the right and left flanks as pickett's men drove toward the union works at the angle stannard's vermont troops executing a right turn movement from their position south of the copse fired into the flank of the charging confederates the advancing lines crumbled reformed and again pressed ahead under terrific fire from the union batteries a hundred yards from the stone wall in the tall grass they encountered union skirmishers who fired and hastily withdrew 
but all along the wall the union infantry opened with volley after volley into the depleted ranks of garnet and fry armistead closed in and with lane and lawrence joining him made a last concerted drive at this close range double canister and concentrated infantry fire cut wide gaps in the attacking front garnet was mortally wounded kempfer was down his lines falling away on the right and left armistead reached the low stone fence in a final surge he crossed the wall with a hundred and fifty men and with his cap on his sword shouted follow me at the peak of the charge he fell mortally wounded from the ridge union forces rushed forward and hall's michigan regiments let loose a blast of musketry the gray column was surrounded the tide of the confederacy had swept to its crest paused and receded two of the divisions in the charge were reduced to mere fragments in front of the union line twenty fallen battle flags lay in a space of one hundred yards square singly and in little clumps the remnants of the gray columns that had made the magnificent charge of a few minutes earlier now sullenly retreated across the fields toward the confederate lines lee who had watched anxiously from spangler's woods now rode out to meet his men all this has been my fault he said to general wilcox who had brought off his command after heavy losses it is i that have lost this fight and you must help me out of it in the best way you can and again that night in a moment of contemplation he remarked to a comrade too bad too bad oh too bad cavalry action as the strength of lee's mighty effort at the angle was ebbing and the scattered remnants of the charge were seeking shelter action of a different kind was taking place on another field not far distant early in the afternoon stuart's cavalry was making its way down the valley of crest run three miles east of gettysburg the brigades of hampton and fitzhugh lee at the centre of the line of march momentarily lost the trail and came out into open ground at the north end of rummel's woods stuart soon learning of the mistake attempted to bring them into line and to proceed southward but at this point general d m gregg's union cavalry in position along the hanover road a mile southeast saw the confederates gregg prepared at once to attack and stuart had no choice but to fight on this ground as the two forces moved closer dismounted men opened a brisk fire supported by the accurate shelling of artillerists then came the initial cavalry charge and countercharge the confederate jenkins was forced to withdraw when his small supply of ammunition became exhausted hampton fitzhugh lee and chambliss charged again and again only to be met with the equally spirited counter-attack of mcintosh custer's michigan regiments closed in on a flank movement against the right of the charging confederate troops and miller's squadron of the third pennsylvania disobeying orders to hold its position struck opportunely on the confederate left the thrusts of the union horsemen so well coordinated stopped the onslaught of stuart's troopers after three hours of driving assaults the confederates left the field and retired to the north of gettysburg the union horsemen holding their ground had successfully cut off the prospect of confederate cavalry aid in the rear of the union lines on cemetery ridge 
End of Invasion Lee, as he looked over the desolate field of dead and wounded, and the broken remnants of his once powerful army, still ready for renewed battle, must have realized that not only was Gettysburg lost, but that eventually it might all end this way. Meade did not counterattack as expected. The following day, July 4, the two armies lay facing each other, exhausted and torn late on the afternoon of july four lee began an orderly retreat the wagon train of wounded seventeen miles in length guarded by imboden's cavalry started homeward through greenwood and greencastle at night the able-bodied men marched over the hagerstown road by way of monterey pass to the potomac roads had become nearly impassable from the heavy rains that day so well did stuart cover the retreat that the army reached the potomac with comparatively little loss meade realizing that the confederate army was actually retreating and not retiring to the mountain passes sent his cavalry and sedgwick's corps of infantry in pursuit and ordered the mountain passes west of frederick covered lee having the advantage of the more direct route to the potomac reached the river several days ahead of his pursuers but heavy rains had swollen the current and he could not cross meade arrived on the night of july twelve and prepared for a general attack on the following night however the river receded and lee crossed safely into virginia the confederate army meade's critics said had been permitted to slip from the union grasp end of part four